2: Welcome to Talk Us Jericho. It's the Pod of Thunder and Rock and Roll. And today we're getting our horror on with Joe Bob Briggs, the host of the amazing The Last Drive-In on Shudder it's the horror and thriller movie subscription streaming app. you got to check it out if you like horror movies like I do. Uh, you know exactly who Joe Bob Briggs is if you love B-movies like I do and a lot of us here. You've probably heard of his Monster Vision drive-in movie series. which ran on TNT for a long time. Uh, Joe Bob's got a new home for all his favorite horror and B-movie films on Shutter. It's a great app. Go check it out now. Subscribe to it. I do. I watch it uh, pretty much daily now. <laughs> Lots of great stuff on there. But uh, Joe Bob has moved into the streaming digital age but he's still showing and talking about all the best and worst in the horror genre and joe bob's here today on talk is jericho he's got some great stories about some of his favorite films talking about the time the hell's angels gave him an award and nearly killed him all in the same night Uh, it's all about horror comedy italian horror porn horror japanese horror low budget sci-fi horror trucker movies martial arts movies trucker foo martial foo your movie watch list is going to be a mile long by the time we're finished today Get ready for one of my favorite horror movie hosts and critics, the iconic Joe Bob Briggs, uh, accompanied by his lovely assistant, Darcy the male girl. All right, before we get to Joe Bob Briggs, there's been a lot of talk about Scimitar, my high school band. We found uh, a bunch of tapes and uh, some boxes, and uh, we talked about Scimitar and all of uh, me and Billy Gray and Rich Ward and Frank Fonseray from Fozzie, all of our high school bands. The uh, episode was called High School of Rock, cj's first bands you guys got to go back and listen to it a lot of fun we played some scimitar we played sour grapes and baby cycle last week we got a whole lot of uh, requests for more scimitar so there's a couple more songs i think are worthy of playing for you uh, i found one this one's called occupation kill death 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 kill 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 kind of apropos here for the last driving with joe bob briggs he's got kevin a hoff on guitar warren Rumpel on drums chris jericho on bass and curtis feist and dave fellows on the vocals Uh, It's a lot of fun, so check it out, here we go, Occupation Kill with Scimitar. Tune, lots of fun, uh, great chorus, and a f- perfect amount of bad notes uh, and out of tune. Uh, we never really knew how to end songs either, but it's a lot of fun, and we might play one more Scimitar song for you on Friday. Uh, but until then, we'll think about it. But here's Joe Bob Briggs and the last drive-in right here on Talk is Jericho. So uh, I'm here with Joe Bob Briggs. We just did a, a convention in Jersey, a horror convention, and we are just talking it's funny because I, this is why I always press record before we start talking. You and I started talking and we're talking about different subjects of the podcast. And I mentioned the Warriors 40th anniversary show that I did. And you said it's the most popular uh, episode ever.
1: Yeah, because I, yeah, we shouldn't waste material. That's true. <laughs> I, I was, um, um, when I was doing Monster Vision, uh, we had the Warriors on. I didn't know it was 40 years since I was that crazy, movie. right? Yeah. But, um, and so, I don't know if you know this, but The Warriors is based on the, the books of Xenophon, the Greek um, historian, and it was these 300 Greek warriors got trapped on the, um, uh, Pers- in the, on the Persian Gulf. They went down there to fight a war and they got trapped, and their leader was killed. And so they had to fight their way back through these various armies all the way back to Greece. You know, it took them months to do it. And so the guy who wrote the Warriors, he based the story on that only instead of, you know, Greek warriors, it was this gang from Coney Island that gets trapped in the Bronx and their leader gets killed. That's about as far away as you can be from Coney Island yeah, in right. New York city. That's right. And then they have to fight their way back through all the competing gangs of New York city, all the way back to Coney Island. So he took this ancient Greek story and he turned it into a great, you know, yeah. uh, modern film. I mean, in, in some ways it's kind of goofy because you know, the, the costumes and stuff that they wear are goofy, but So I thought, you know, since it was so geography based and since they they do all their travel on the subways, you know, you would think it's a gang. Why don't they steal a car? You know, that'd be the quick way to go back to Coney Island. But instead, they only travel by subway. And so what I did is I got this subway map of New York in 1979, I guess it was. Uh, whenever the movie was made. I think the movie came out in 1980. It may have been made in 79. I think it was was 79, yeah. 79, okay. And so we got a 1979 subway map, and we say, okay, here's where the Warriors jumped on the six train and they had to take the six train because they were at this park, you know, and then they took it down the East side, but then, you know, they got, they got attacked by the Yankee uniform gang, whatever you call them. Baseball
2: Furies. The Baseball Furies. They were there today. I took a picture with them. Oh, really? Okay.
1: And so they had to cross back over Central Park and then they were at Riverside, you know, where the attempted rape scene happens. That's in the Riverside Park. Ajax. yeah and then they're coming down you know and there's a big there's a big sequence at Union Square where the lesbian gang attacks them you know <laughs> and so and so at every break I would show the subway map and I would show here's where the warriors really? had to go on the subway map so for something about that people just loved it you know and so they taped it and they put it up on YouTube and it, and over time it became sort of the most popular uh episode and I I actually I hosted a screening of the warriors not long ago at the uh, Alamo Draft House in Yonkers New York and a bunch of the warriors not the, not the not the warriors gang but the other gangs uh, uh, showed up, you know, the guys who had played the gang members, they showed up in their gang colors, <laughs> you know, from the movie. And so that's how much, even the extras, you know, who had worked on the film, that's how much they love the film. I think they've had several Warriors reunions at they this have. point. Yeah, that's
2: such a great idea because that's why your show was so popular for so many years, and it is again now because you would do in the breaks, do like uh, uh, unique follow ups to what's going on in the film. Yeah, so that was kind of the gimmick of what you do, right?
1: Well, yeah, I mean, I I always tried to make it. You know, there's um, when you're when you're hosting a movie, um, you know, there's two ways to do it. You can do comedy, you can do sketches, you can do gags, you know. And uh, that's the way a lot of people do it. Or you can just go deeper and deeper and deeper into the movie, which and that's the that's how I like to do it. So all the material comes out of the movie. You know, we're always talking about the movie, wherever we are in the movie, that starts the subject for the next, you know, for the next rant, whatever it's going to be. So, uh, so yeah, I always like to be totally tied to the movie so that uh, so that at home you're watching it with me so that I'm your friend watching the movie with you, you know? That's, like, harkens back to, like, I remember when I was a kid, and I'm sure it was the same with you, that you'd have, like, you know, like
2: Elvira, but even before that, you'd have, like, you know, Dr. Creeper's Sunday Night Horror, and he would intro the movie, and it would be kind of always a little bit uh, cheesy, like some cheesy laboratory with the, the, the bubbling... Yeah, you know the, the the cauldron and all that sort of stuff yeah you've kind of took that into the modern era
1: yeah the guy who invented that was a guy named John Zacherly, who was a horror host in Philadelphia in 1957 what was I think his name started. John Zacherly.
2: What, what was his what was his show business well he
1: went he just went by Zacherly okay. on the air yeah and he was a kind of a drac had a kind of a Dracula costume and he would actually put himself in the movies he would cut himself into the movie like photoshop <laughs> himself into the movies and Um, and, um, you know, Hollywood really didn't want to give its movies to TV. They were afraid of TV and the first studio RKO pictures went out of business. RKO pictures had a lot of horror films that were made in the forties. And so all these horror films became available. And so Zachary used them. And then other people around the country copied that success of that show until like every city had its exactly. as you say dr creepers they always had some name like that yeah. and so um, and and a lot of times it was just you know the guy who was doing uh, ad sales for this for this for the TV station would just you know put on the costume and host the movie right. and so you had some really good ones and some really bad ones but every city had their had their horror host uh, and then I guess the first national one the first truly national one after Zachary would probably would have been elvira in in the 80s you know yeah, I'm and
2: from chicago i can't remember what his name is but he
1: still kind of does it right now oh Sven spingooley that's yeah, it yeah yeah, yeah. spingooley right spingooley is back he has his own show on one of the uh you know syndicated networks so
2: there's so much uh, so many places to get content now like i know your new show on shutter whereas before it was always amc or it was you know uh was it monster vision was that on TNT? tnt yeah But now you can do it on shutter which is basically an app on your phone like there's so many different ways to do it right
1: oh yeah there's yeah. many many ways to uh stream i mean i've never been able to watch a movie on my phone i mean I guess if I had to, in a pinch, I would. You know, it's like I want at least a laptop screen to watch. Well, especially
2: when the whole concept of Joe Bob's drive-in theater—the is the biggest screen ever, right? Yeah,
1: yeah. That, that, so, that's,
2: that's something like you know, for my kids, for example, like they have no idea what a drive-in is. And when I was in high school, the drive-in—that's well, because
1: you're from Canada.
2: Well, <laughs> but still, though, in, <laughs> in high cold. school we would go to to uh, every Memorial Day or whatever. You'd have like the all night drive-in which was kind of like the party of the year. Everyone would sneak in their alcohol. And I remember I used to put my bottle of vodka in the carburetor and close the carburetor because the cops would never search that as you went into the drive-in. But what a great concept. But the drive-ins that I went to were all A-list movies. The drive-ins you talk about was the original, almost like a grindhouse type of thing.
1: Because, I mean, starting in the 50s, the studios would not give their movies to drive-ins. They considered it low class. And so the drive ins had to depend on the independent filmmakers. The drive ins were mom and pops. You know, it was, you know, there weren't any drive in chains. It was like one person owned the drive in in each town. And so they didn't have any clout with Hollywood. They couldn't get the big movies. And so guys like Roger Corman come along, Sam Arkoff, all these independent guys, and they say, okay, we'll give you um uh you know original movies and 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 it's movies that young people want to see it's rock and roll movies it's uh, they they had a kind of movie in the 50s called the juvenile delinquent movie <laughs> the biker film right. you know uh things that hollywood wouldn't even make and so uh so that became you know the atmosphere of the drive-in is is it's young. It's sex and violence. It's stuff that your mother doesn't want you to see. It's stuff that Hollywood won't make. And so, uh, over time, that became the reputation of the drive-in. And reputa- and drive-ins were considered sort of like bad places, you know, passion right. pits. You know, it's <laughs> where you it's where you took a girl if you had no other place to go, right? Yeah, you had and a s- car. Yeah, <laughs> and so uh, and so and the drive-in owners were always like. Well, yeah, it used to be that way, but now we're a family entertainment center. Yeah, they were saying that in the 50s, the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, you know. It's always family entertainment center, you know.
2: Is there still drive-ins around now?
1: There are still drive-ins around now. There's about 300 drive-ins left, and there's also – there's actually even – in, the, in order to survive in the 70s and 80s, they were trying to survive the invention of the multiplex. So a lot of drive-ins went to porn. They went to X-rated. Really? Yeah. And so, you, you know, just, be, just because it was the only thing that they could do you know, to survive the the, the, so the multiplexes took, took all their movies.
2: They would drive their cars to go watch a porno movie. Exactly. With other people all lined up beside them in an open air drive Exactly. The
1: theater. And Jeez. you can imagine what the cities <laughs> that had those drive-ins thought of it. Because you can see that. You drive you, by it. You yeah. can often see the screen from the highway. Yeah. And so um, there's one of those theaters left. There is one porn drive-in left, the Apache drive-in in in Tyler, Texas. And I don't know how they survived or how they continue to operate, but they're still doing the same thing from the 70s.
0: (laughs) The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.
2: So when you are talking about, like, Joe Bob's Drive-In Theater and TerraVision, uh, Monster Vision, and now it's Joe Bob's last drive-in on Shudder, how do you decide what movies to pick? Is there people giving you ideas? Are you handpicking them? Have you seen so many movies that you have a Rolodex in your head?
1: What we try to do is have a mix of uh, great exploitation movies, mm-hmm. cult movies, uh, movies that are so bad they're good, um, You know, movies that were overlooked, uh, the, for, for the so-called forgotten gems, Uh, movies that are just so weird that you, you know, you need to watch them with a friend because, because, uh, uh, they're so complex and weird. Uh, we try to show some, uh, foreign horror, like Italian horror, Japanese horror. Um, so we try to make it a mix of everything. The great thing about horror fans, as opposed to other movie fans is they want to see everything everything. Mm-hmm. They want to see every horror film ever made. They want to see stuff in the 30s. They want to see stuff from the 70s. They want to see stuff that was made last week. They want to see every horror film. And so it's it's really an advantage to a programmer because you can sort of say, you know, tonight we're going to visit 1985 and and they'll go with you, you know, they'll go with you to 1985.
2: So you mentioned some of these different genres, name some of the movies, like what are some of the standouts for you of just some of the weird movies or some of the horror movies or some of the so bad to be good movies?
1: Um, Well, like horror comedy is a, is a genre, you know, I would say my favorite horror comedy of all time is basket case. Now, I don't know if you've seen Basket Case, Frank Lauder. Frank Lauder, yeah. but it's it's more horror than comedy. But it but the comedy is so good that you remember those scenes. You know, like when the father gets split in half, and you know, uh, Belial, but, yeah, and Belial. Belial, the monster itself is kind of funny. <laughs>
2: but it, but, here, but here's the difference, though. Okay, so that's horror comedy where they're not pushing the comedy element in your face. It's got some fun, but like like I never liked Return of the Living Dead because that was like total, too much comedy, too much comedy. I don't mind it if there's comedy or if it's unintentional comedy, but I didn't like it shoved in my face.
1: I totally agree with you. And that's why I don't like films like Attack of the Killer Tomatoes or where they're trying too hard Too hard. They're yeah. trying to make a comedy that, well, you know what? You know what it is? It's a way of cheating horror. It's like, uh, and a lot of young filmmakers do this. You, if you're going to make a scary movie, it's hard. It's hard. It's hard to right, right, right. it's hard to scare people. There's very few things that scare people. Good point. And so the way to cheat that is, oh, ha, ha, we were sort of making fun of ourselves when we yeah. did this scene. And so, um, yeah, so most horror comedy is not that good. But when you do it right, when it's like 20% comedy, 80% horror, you know, it, it can really work. So uh, That's the
2: brilliance of Basket Case. Like you said, there's some funny parts, but they're playing it straight. That this guy uh, Kevin has yeah. a, a Siamese twin that uh, was detached from him and is basically a savage flesh-eating beast that he carries around in a basket.
1: That's right, and and uh, there's nothing that uh, you know Frank Henenlotter has made sense that that's. Uh, Uh, that's even close to that you know it's just like the it was the perfect idea his first time out (laughs) with that just a terrible budget
2: so it's just barely squeaking through but but we used to love those type of movies when i like i said when i was in high school we'd go try and find them every week and rent these type of films now one of the things i want to talk to you about which i love because i read your books back in that time frame joe bob the driving or whatever it was called yeah and you would rate the movies with like okay this one had seven boobs eight deaths, a beheading, a, a penis shot, and, uh, you know, a right. a, a rod up the ass or something. Yeah. <laughs> Two thumbs up or whatever you would do. Yeah. That became kind of your trademark.
1: Well, yeah, I started doing the drive-in totals because, um, um, sort of, you know, half, half parody, half serious, but it was like, I had had these conversations with Roger Corman, the great exploitation filmmaker, about what are the elements of an exploitation film? And then, I mean, he he he's kind of an intellectual, and he kind of like did a long uh, uh, explanation of what those elements well, what, what's the, what are. are. But some of the elements? I reduced it okay. to so the us. three Bs: okay. blood, breasts, and beasts. You know, <laughs> now what that amounts to is sex, violence, and science fiction elements. You know, sex, violence, and the supernatural. And so, um, uh, it turns out that's what that's if you have those three things. You pretty much, you know, satisfy what the audience wants. Now, you know, a lot of those, a lot of those early uh, slasher films, they would have some above-the-waist female nudity, but not very much. You know, there was just like sort of. But if they didn't have any at all, people would feel cheated. But if they, they they could just have two scenes, and suddenly people were th- was like, "Oh, this is the coolest movie ever." So it really was something that was like sort of became the formula of of what you expect in a movie of that type. and so the 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 slasher film, the, uh, the you know, there's some genres that don't exist anymore, like the high school sex comedy. You know, there used to be this this kind of um, sort of farce film where, Four guys are trying to get laid. They're on spring break. They don't get laid. They never get laid. Well,
2: two know? two of them do, two of them don't. Because <laughs> yeah. in the actual movie Spring Break, that's what happens. But <laughs> that's you're, right. you're talking porkies. You're talking the exactly last American virgin. They would go skiing. It's hot dog. They go in a river race. It's up the creek. Like every element of what you can right. do, screwballs, all those type yeah. of ones. And the
1: guy that you expect to get laid doesn't get laid, and the guy who shouldn't get laid does get laid. And you know, it's, uh, so it was just it was just an excuse for various sexual situations aimed at teenagers who were like nervous about their sexuality, you know, and, um, and those movies made a lot of money. Um, and then at some point that genre just died. It's just like, you know, you can't do it. Like kids, kids in high school today are too sophisticated for that genre.
2: Well, here's another thing about it too, though. This is like I said, growing up in the eighties, right? Like you would rent a a TNA comedy or a slasher with the hope that you would see some breasts because you couldn't just go online and look up, you know, porn sites or whatever if you saw a breast in you know like Boy camp 2 there's eight sets of tits in this thing i can't believe it it's the best movie ever so you yeah. would actually want to watch it more because it was your only chance if you were a teenager to see boobs
1: that's true that's true it's like boobs are much more available today than they were <laughs> at the more, time right there was playboy magazine and you know and hustler and and a few ways but but uh uh but yeah kids didn't have access to what they have access to today yeah
2: so, what were some of the, like, I remember some of your drive-in reviews, like, what were some of the most unique ones that you can remember?
1: Well, I remember at the time, at the time I first started reviewing these movies, like, today, people are crazy about, I don't know how deep you are into horror, but, uh, but people Very are deep, people are deep into Italian horror today. Giallo, they call it. Right? Yeah, yeah, Giallo. And at the time that those movies came out, though, in the early, in the late 70s, early 80s, we didn't know they were Italian because they would dub them into English. They would do stuff like, you know, I mean, when you look back at at it today and watch the scene again, you're like, oh yeah, obviously that's not an American city, you know, but they would do things like put Kellogg's cornflakes on the kitchen table, you know, just because those Italian (laughs) directors, (laughs) yeah, those Italian directors didn't want you to know that the movie was, was, uh, was Italian because they could make more money if it's perceived to be an American film. And so years later, when they, they start discovering, oh, actually that guy who called himself Sylvester Smith that's actually this Italian guy who was, you know, and so um, uh, those guys were sort of shocked that they became famous in later years because they were just trying to make a buck at the right, time. Right, right. But I remember there was a there was there was a film called The Grim Reaper about this uh, cannibal who lived on an uh, who, who lived on an island, preyed on tourists. A- he ate tourists who came to the island, and uh, I thought this is the weirdest movie ever. It was probably made by a maniac. I found out later it was just you know one of those Italian giallo things that that uh, I think Joe D'Amato made it. Uh, Joe it one D apostrophe Amato?
2: Yeah. Was there some interesting deaths in it or something? Or what made you remember that movie?
1: Uh, just the grossness of the of the cannibal himself. Oh, the way the, he would just of eat of people. one of those guys who's been alone on the island for forty years and. Uh, and uh, he's turned into a wild man, and and uh, just the special effects, you know, Tom Savini style special effects with the drool coming off the lips and the mm. and the weird deformities on him and everything. So, yeah, and and that was the kind of movie that only played at the drive-in. I mean, no respectable theater would show that movie, and so we didn't know where it came from or who made it or whatever. We just thought, oh wow, cool movie.
2: <laughs> <laughs> there was a lot of them like that. Like I remember, I didn't know like zombie. Was spelt just zombie with an I, and I couldn't, didn't know why. I didn't know it was from Italy. I thought they were filming in New York, and you couldn't really tell
1: that the voices yeah. didn't match for some reason. They always kind of matched. Oh, because they're so good at it. Yeah. They, they dub they see they dub Italian films if they have all Italian actors in an Italian film they still dub it <laughs> they still dub it they don't shoot live sound and so they have these guys that are masters of uh, of dubbing that's that's all they do that they're, they're like dubbing actors that that, that that spend their whole lives doing that and so um so yeah I mean in Italy there's a there's a guy who does Brad Pitt that's basically what he does. You know, there's a guy who does Tom Cruise. That's basically what he does. And he just, you know, is able to, is able to, to, uh, you yeah. And you so. would
2: notice too, like when it was, when it was Italian dubbed in English, you would start noticing from movie to movie like that. That's the same voice. Like if you, if you went, went to three in a row, like yeah. the guy from zombie is the same guy from, you know, uh, 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 the gates of hell is the same guy from, you know what I mean? Like zombie That's yeah. Yeah. the same voice all throughout.
1: Yeah, and but you have to remember you didn't really have the ability to freeze frame or yeah. or run stuff back and you know, I mean, VHS was the first time you had the ability to stop a movie or rewatch a movie, mm-hmm. and even then it was kind of primitive and you couldn't really you you were likely to screw up your tape yeah, if yeah. you did that too many times and so you know, these movies weren't scrutinized the way they are now. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: You kind of accepted it more like you said
0: So, set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.
2: So, what are some of your favorite genres of movies for you?
1: Um, Well, certainly horror is a favorite genre. Um... Uh, low budget action, low budget sci-fi. They don't really make low budget sci-fi anymore. Uh, it kind of disappeared after, after I guess after the '80s. I mean, they continued to try to make uh, cheap sci-fi movies into the late '80s, and then it was just like they couldn't compete with the special effects of uh, yeah. of big science. You know, everything before a certain date was sci-fi was really originally considered an outlaw genre. It wasn't something that Hollywood did. And so that was all through the fifties and sixties, starting in the seventies, you got star Wars, you know, and then it becomes, you know, out of everyone's reach economically to do those movies. And then it, it sort of comes back with stuff like, um, uh, sharknado and those movies that would appear on, um, on USA, right? Yeah. On uh, the, sci-fi. the creature yeah. on sci-fi, the creature movies. I'm, I'm in, and, I'm in sharknado three oh that's right that's right (laughs) okay so you know (laughs) so you so you know how how sophisticated that set is (laughs) you know what's funny about
2: it and this is so stupid we uh we filmed it in universal studios in orlando and i'm the roller coaster operator bruce yeah and there's the actual universal studios themselves are super strict like okay you can film here but you have to do exactly what the rules are so, as the ride attendant, even though the shark is literally coming to kill me, I have to make sure that everybody's seat belts are undone. I have to make sure that the that the safety latch is undone, and it's like the dumbest thing ever. They're like, you know, we, we, a guy would never leave his post, uh, official Universal. I'm like, if there was a shark on a roller coaster <laughs> they would leave his post they wanted very by the book you know
1: oh so in the movie you're seeing the universal sign so they you it's know universal it's, yeah you it's know it's universal universal studios and, orlando and so they're they're enforcing their it, lawyers to, the uh, whole edicts
2: yes whatever it says on the rules you have to do you know oh, what i mean wow. so what are some of your favorite uh, low-budget sci-fi films
1: there's a film called it was originally called mutant it, it was called forbidden world it ended up with the title forbidden world There's a Roger Corman film that's um, uh, there were a whole series of these where um, you you, the your your DNA becomes infected with a outer space virus and it's replicating and it's like every hour it's doubling in in its uh, effect and the world, the world is going to, the whole, everybody in the world is going to die. If you don't uh, kill the outer space creatures, uh, there was that one. There was a whole series like that. And, and what it was is it was sort of a metaphor for AIDS because this country was going through, you know, this, uh, what year was fearful, this? The early eighties. Okay. So AIDS had just been discovered. People didn't even know the word AIDS, you know, and then AIDS is discovered and people are dying of AIDS. And it's like, and, and it's this thing that eats your body up from inside. And so that all these sci-fi movies started coming out where it's mutating DNA, you know, thinly <laughs> disguised, you know, and it scared the, you know, crap out of people because they were, uh, they were already scared of getting this, you know, exotic new disease, you know, so... um there were those. Um, it was Forbidden
2: World. Well, it wasn't with, with Aaron Moran, was it? I think it was, actually. I remember she gets eaten by like a giant
1: worm or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's the the, the mutating creature keeps getting bigger and bigger. I always
2: love that, too, about certain uh, uh, actors or actresses. Like, you hadn't seen Aaron Moran in anything since, yeah. like, Happy Days and Join Lose Chosh. And then just randomly, she's in Forbidden World.
1: You know yeah, what I mean? Like, well, how the hell does that work? Well, that's Roger Corman. He's like, uh, anybody that. Like uh, Roger Carmen made a made a movie called Queen of Blood uh, in 1965, and it's the ch- one of the cheapest movies ever made. But Basil Rathbone is in it, who played oh my Sherlock gosh, Holmes, of course. Yeah, and, and if you ask Roger, uh, you know, how did you get Basil Rathbone to be in this? Movie? And he's like, you know, Basil needed money towards yeah. the end of his life, yeah. and and it was. He was like, yeah, he was in three of my movies in about three months.
2: It's <laughs> the same way that uh, Ed Wood got uh, Bella Lugosi to be in Plan 9 from out of space. Yeah, yeah, you know, everybody's like, got to
1: work, right? Yeah, and uh, that's, you know, everyone says, you know, the same year that Donald Pleasance made Halloween, he also made all these much crappier movies. And, and, the, and the answer to that is, why was he doing that? And the answer is, he had eight daughters okay mm-hmm. <laughs> he, had, <laughs> he had a lot of bills to pay so
2: <laughs> right. yeah, you have to do it yeah. everyone needs work how about uh from the horror genre some of the ones that you like that stand out to you
1: well i love i love the original texas chainsaw massacre mm. i love reanimator i love uh the original suspiria you know let's talk uh,
2: about that for a second because i yeah. think that's the movie that um when I was a kid, once again, the, the advent of like the pay TV channel, like HBO Now, it was called yeah. uh, First Choice in Canada. And, yeah. m- and maybe a lot of people weren't ordering at the time, but they had like a roster of like 12 movies, and Suspiria was one of them. And talk about being, you know, a 12 year old kid or 13 year old kid and seeing that movie. That movie's insane, Suspiria. Yeah. And I don't know if a lot of people really have seen it in this country. I know they just recently remade it, but that original so creepy.
1: Yeah, what well, uh, actually. You know, yeah, it's it's popular among hardcore horror fans. I I would say the average moviegoer probably hasn't seen yeah. that original one. Um it was um the the atmosphere of that film, I mean it's one of the best things that Dario Argento ever created and Dario Dario Argento who's worshiped by the hardcore horror people made some crap too. I mean, he didn't always, he didn't always deliver great, but when all things came together and he, the music and the, and, and the atmosphere and the acting and the, and the story all came together, uh, in a movie like that, you know, it was just a wonderful thing, but when it played over in the United States, uh, it played grindhouses. I mean, it played drive-ins. It, you know, it wasn't really noticed by the, by the general public. It was only years later that they say, Oh, this was a masterpiece of yeah, someone was picked up by this
2: pay TV channel or whatever. It's yeah. the, the maggots falling on her. And it's just like, what the hell's going on in this thing? But you're just riveted to it, you know, Yeah, cause you didn't see stuff like that back then.
1: No. And that's why, that's how I started working in TV is that the movie channel, which was one of those premium channels, uh, that you, you know, you pay extra for on your cable bill. Had bought a lot of those movies, mm-hmm. and they're movies that nobody's heard of, um, and they needed somebody to sort of explain them to the, <laughs> to the <laughs> public. And so I was the guy, you know, who who hosted those t- t- late night movies. Which, by the way, the the owners of the movie channel would have considered crap. You know, it's like this: it's this crap we bought. You know, this guy seems to like crap, so we'll have him. You know, we'll have him introduce them. And so, I mean, that's how. It, that's how these movies were held in such low esteem of course today when it comes out and makes 600 million dollars or halloween comes out and makes 700 million dollars or whatever you know suddenly decision makers in hollywood take notice and suddenly sure. th- suddenly they want that quirky horror script but
2: every every decade that seems to happen i remember like in the was it late 90s early 2000s when scream came out when the horror movie genre was pretty much yeah. dead and then Scream yeah. came out, making kind of fun of it, but still being a brilliant story. Then horror became in vogue again.
1: Yeah, it was a transitional movie because it was it sort of ended the slasher film. You can't really do a slasher mm-hmm. film after Scream, mm-hmm. you know, right. because Scream tells all the rules of the slasher film, yeah. you know. And then and then uh, and then as as though that wasn't enough, Scary Movie is a parody. Of scream which is already a parody of slasher films you know (laughs) and so and so you have you know you now you have now you've like totally destroyed the the uh the uh, slasher genre but it led to sort of a new wave well on the one hand it led to remakes people they went to remakes they went to big budget remakes so you have the remake of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. You have the remake of The Hills Have Eyes. You have this remake of Amityville Horror. And those early, remakes, it, yeah. Yeah, those early remakes, the big budget ones, they were pretty good. They weren't bad. You know, I mean, it's rare to me that a remake can recapture the sort of spirit of the original. But you can have better acting. You can have better photography. There's certain things you can do that, are, that improve the story. But then as time went on and they just decided, well, let's just remake everything, <laughs> you know, and uh, then the quality went down, the budgets went down and the remakes were often, you know, sort of redundant. It was like, why did we do this? But a you lot
2: know? of it too, when you do a remake is a lot of it's like the, the a product of its time, you know what I mean? Like yeah. for example, or, or it's atmosphere. Like when they did the ring movies, uh, the first ring worked, but most of those J horrors don't because there's a certain weirdness to a Japanese horror film that when you make it, you know, with an American company, you lose that.
1: Totally and that's what Makes true. it good, right? Totally true. And I, there's a lot about Japanese horror that I don't understand because mm-hmm. it's just it just goes to places that we would never go over in North America, right? And so, and you ask these Japanese directors where the, where did you get, where do you get your ideas for these films? And they'll say, American horror films, grew up on American horror films. You know, I love American horror films, and they'll name the horror films. And it's like, did you watch them in reverse? You know, <laughs> did you, did you, you know, it's like, we don't have that stuff in American, you know, the stuff like the Takashi Miike films, you know, it's like a film like Dead or Alive, which we showed on my show. It's like, no, we would not go that far ever in any film. You
2: know, you talking about *Dead or Alive*? Peter Jackson, or is there a Takashi Miike
1: *Dead or Alive*? The the Takashi Miike *Dead or Alive*? Oh, I've
2: never seen that.
1: You never seen that? Okay, no. well, um, it's it, a it's a uh, it's a wild wild film um, with um, with this uh, yakuza subplot in it, and uh, there's a I'll just I'll just say there's an Enema scene. Okay, is that enough? You know, there's a scene that you, there's just stuff that you don't want to see. There's an enema murder. I'll just put it that way. An enema murder. Scene you don't want three. to see an enema murder. And I would just say, you would do an enema murder in Japan. You would not do it in the United States. I don't care who's writing the script in the United States. You would not do that scene. For Joe Bob's
2: rating, it's three boobs, one death by enema. Thumbs yeah. up. <laughs> I remember uh, the movie Audition. Um, Audition is a brilliant movie. One of the scariest movies creepy but it's so brilliant because it starts out basically as a romantic comedy like guy just wants to find a new wife and holds auditions to get a new girlfriend
1: oh yeah and the one he picks is shall we say not the right choice i love to tell people to watch audition but not tell them right what it's about uh because if you tell them if you if you tell them too much they're going to be waiting for the yeah, waiting for, for the for the moment, the MacGuffin
2: or whatever. But if yeah.
1: if, they, if they if they sort of if they sort of get lulled in with sense of security in the first forty minutes, you know, then then it's going to be so powerful.
2: That, and that happens quite a bit. Like I, I, I think Eli Roth did that with Hostel where it was once again almost like it was like a T N 80s TNA comedy and then just switches complete direct left turn and like I like those type of movies too where you don't expect it.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. No, you know? that's that's uh, uh, movies are all about suspense and twists and especially exploitation movies and um well, like well, give me some examples of some exploitation movies. Exploitation movies? Uh, I mean it, it depends on what um, uh decade you're talking about but um uh, almost everything that came out of American international pictures you know all through the 50s so you're talking 50s, about kind of biker oh, films like women in prison women in prison films black exploitation films I mean uh, the genre changes with the times you know there's some genres that don't last like when black exploit i I would say shaft really is the film that started the black exploitation period and it probably lasted three or four years and this uh, is like
2: Rudy Ray Moore and Exactly like, uh, yeah and and Pam. Fred
1: Fred Williamson was starred in a lot of them Greer uh, Yeah and and uh they were uh they were probably 300 of them I mean there were but you know then it was over it was just mm. over Same thing with biker movies they um pro- uh Roger Corman made one called The Wild Angels. Uh, the Hells Angels themselves made one call, called Hells Angels 69. It's one of the worst ones ever made. <laughs> um, there's one called Hells Angels on Wheels that I was the only critic that reviewed it. The The Angels were working on this film themselves. They said, we're tired of people getting rich off the Hells Angels. We're going to make our own movie. And so they, they made this, they spent, it took them like 17 years to finish the movie. (laughs) And so, but they finally, they released the movie. And of course they wanted to control all the distribution and everything. And so it's like, nobody told them that the whole biker craze is over. And so they, (laughs) they, they premiere the thing in some drive-in in West Texas and all these bikers from all over the Midwest drive to the premiere. And I'm the only guy that reviews the movie. And so because I'm the only guy that reviews the movie, the the Hells Angels of Ventura, the the chapter in Ventura, California decides they want to give me an award, and so they come to to uh, uh, Dallas to give me this ball peen hammer award. It's a it's a gold plated ball peen hammer because there's a f- famous scene in the movie where the, this uh, biker named Animal, who brought who brought the ball peen hammer with him to give to me, he beats up this guy with a ball peen hammer. And so, and so they, they, they came to Dallas to give me the ball peen hammer award. And I'm, I'm a little late. I'm like three minutes late to the, to the ceremony. And, uh, I walk into the theater and the manager of the theater says, uh, Joe Bob, you need to get to the stage right now, (laughs) because if you don't, the hell's angels say they're going to, they're going to tear up this theater. And I'm like, oh, okay. So I go to the theater. And so later I'm talking to the chapter president and he, and I say, uh, would, would you guys have really beat me up? And he says, well, you know, he says, I wouldn't. But Animal <laughs> might have started in on you. And if he started in on you, I got to join in. <laughs> and I was like, "Oh, man." So it was close, right? And he <laughs> says, "Yeah, it was close." <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> "So anyway, the uh, the biker movie, the black exploitation movie, the uh, you know, softcore sex comedy of the early 80s, um, um and occasionally you see those like American Pie, that's like an update right. later, yeah. you know, and occasionally you see that come back. Um, the beach movie. You don't see those anymore. The That's beach a pretty movie. rare
2: run. beach yeah. blanket bingo and all that sort of yeah. stuff. And that was kind uh, of more of like the Annette Funicello and Frankie Avalon style. Yeah. There was
1: a kind of innocence about those that, that, uh, uh, that, that you couldn't do after a certain, probably after about 1963, you couldn't really make those anymore. There was, um, Oh, in the early nineties, there must've been hundreds, hundreds of erotic thrillers. Okay, and probably half of them starred Shannon Tweed. I mean, I, I don't know. It's like if, if you went to Blockbuster, Shannon Tweed's picture and name were on half the, the, the video boxes. Right. And there's a famous story about uh, Paramount bought Blockbuster Video or they had a merger or something. And so the executives at Paramount are having a meeting with the executives at Blockbuster and the Blockbuster Video guys are saying, um, the Paramount guys are saying, what can we do to help you guys? And they're saying, we'd, we'd like some more Shannon Tweed movies. And <laughs> <laughs> like, Those things really rent really well. And, then the, and the Paramount guys are going, who? We're not really up on that. Yeah, you know, Shannon, okay, we'll write down that name. <laughs> do
2: you want a beautiful lawn? What about kind of like those? Uh, obviously, you have kung fu movies of the '70s, but yeah. it kind of came back in the early '90s with Jackie Chan or those '65 Jackie Chan movies coming out. Yeah, lots of imitators of that.
1: I think you know the sad thing. The, the The sad thing about Jackie Chan is I think that was about his third time to cross over into English language films. Right. I mean, he tried a couple of times. He went back to uh, Hong Kong. You know, then he came over to America a second time. He didn't really work. He came back a third time. Finally, he becomes a big star when he's almost too old to do the stunts. Right, he can still do the stunts. You know, but just you don't know how many more years he can do them. Yeah, and and so I mean, there. Uh, I don't remember what what was the biggest the biggest box office. Jackie Chan movie, it was like in the early 90s.
2: Well, on his but, own, probably Rumble in the Bronx or those types. Then he did the Chris Tucker ones, Rush Hour. Yeah. He did the Owen Wilson ones. But on his own, I think it might have been Rumble in the Bronx.
1: Probably, probably. And and he was, uh, you know, and then that caused people to go back and look at the old stuff that he'd done from the, uh, uh, from the early days. And if you're really honest about looking at those stunts that he did, you're supposed to not ever sully the reputation of Bruce Lee, but really as as far as a versatile, uh, uh, yeah. versatile stunt man, I, I think Jackie Chan did far more uh, oh, oh, elaborate, far. elaborate, elaborate stunts. Well, than,
2: Jackie Chan was doing all that parkour, you know, Chinese circus type stuff, like going through the rungs of a ladder and all these sort of yeah. stuff. Like, choreography wise bruce lee is the master but as far as the absolute real life superhero is what i call jackie jackie Chan. like yeah you watch him going how in the hell does he do those things
1: yeah you and know? he went to that uh peking opera school or whatever yeah, where they the teach that stuff and circus and, i think it was and the uh i i i saw an interview with him one time where he said uh he was not a big fan of that school because he said it's basically organized child abuse (laughs) and he would not recommend, you know, continuing to do that kind of training. But, uh, I remember
2: too, um, in the early eighties, a big genre was ninja movies.
1: That's true, and uh, what's oh Suji. Oh, one of my great. Uh, there's a name for it. Uh, oh, what was the what was his best movie? It was shot in Houston. Enter uh, the Ninja, maybe Enter the no, Ninja. No, uh, oh man, it'll, it'll come to me. Um, there's a Suji movie that is one of my favorite movies of all time. It just has everything. I never knew why they didn't make more Shō Kasuji movies because usually if a martial artist becomes hot They'll make 10 movies a year with that guy. You know, oh, like like Sonny Chiba. Yes. You know, they, 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 there's like four Street Fighters. They all came out the same year. <laughs> <laughs> you know?
2: I was in one of those ones. <laughs> you were? Yeah, it, 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 it was called Immortal Combat with Sonny Chiba and Roddy Piper. Oh, my God. That's a genre, Roddy Piper movies. We talk That's about those true. ones all day long. Uh, but, uh, Sunny, uh, Revenge of the Ninja. This is no. Shokasuji. Enter the Ninja. No. Um, We're kind of running out. Pray for Death.
1: Pray for Death. There
2: you go. Pray
1: for Death, one of the greatest martial arts movies ever made, in my opinion. Uh, I think
2: that was kind of the big budget one. That had a $4 million budget, and that was 85, yeah. uh, so it was kind of past the Kisuji
1: Prime. Yeah, great <laughs> action movie, though. and uh, Yeah, and they were always they were always trying to find the next guy. Um, who it's was like, the guy that worked for Canon Films? Uh, oh, my uh, gosh. Yeah, uh,
2: Canon uh, Films. There's a good one. It, was, it wasn't Franco
1: Nero. He was... No, I mean Roger Corman's guy was Don the Dragon Wilson, and the way that happened, <laughs> the way that I'm actually involved in that because <laughs> Roger said, uh, Roger said I don't understand martial arts. Right. He said, you know, who should I get for that? And I said, well, I said the great, the great um, uh, puzzle about martial arts is the audience for. An Asian martial arts star, star, Uh theater owners will tell you, is more limited than if we had a great American martial arts star. Gotcha. And so Roger says, okay, I'm going to find that American martial arts star. (laughs) And so he just goes through headshots looking at who's the best looking guy. Right. Who's the best looking guy who has at least one martial arts uh, championship? And he finds Don the Dragon Wilson. And Don the Dragon Wilson is a very mild-mannered guy. He's a very nice guy. And, and so he meets Don, and he says, you know, have you done any acting, Don? No. You know, <laughs> you know. well, you know, I think we could probably work together. And, he, and, he, <laughs> and they make a movie, and the movie does well by Roger Corman standards, mm-hmm. by low-budget standards. It does well. I think he made like twenty movies with Don the Dragon Wilson. I remember that, yeah. Yeah, and so, uh, so that was just a, a, a martial arts star, you know. Ring of Fire. I I, I just these titles come to me, you know. Um, they're all basically the same plot. I mean, <laughs> how many how many kung fu plots are there? Three. Yeah. You know, yeah, right, right, right. right. <laughs> like how many slasher movie plot plots is there? Right. Right. So. Um, Yeah, but they they were always trying to find the next martial arts guy and um, uh, and uh, I don't know it comes martial arts movies come and go come and go I you know right now who would you say is a martial arts star I don't even know it's
2: like you said because I remember like we talking about the eighties because everybody in in the eighties went to karate school like I remember I was taking Taekwondo and I was the worst Taekwondo but I wanted to be a ninja. And then you go through the Shokasugi and all that era. Then it goes to the Van Damme and the Seagal. and then there's Jeff Speakman, and there's Don the Dragon Wilson, and all these different guys. Now, I mean, I don't know if it's an actual. If you look at a movie like John Wick, there's a lot of martial arts stuff going on in that movie. It's just the choreography is still based in it, but it's not just so much a certain guy.
1: Yeah, I. You know, there was a, there was a genre called the uh, called the trucker movie. You know, in the late seventies, early eighties, and you, and you would have Chuck Norris or Jan Michael Vincent, and they would be a, a um, they would be a trucker, who was also a kung fu master. <laughs> One of the most ridiculous genres ever, and yet those movies made lots and lots of money, and I th- I actually think. I think Chuck Norris's first starring role was Breaker Breaker, which was a trucker movie. But of course, he was a trucker martial artist, <laughs> you know. <laughs> um, and then, uh, so they were always looking at, They were always looking for that crossover guy, like Chuck Norris, you know, the guy they can make, you know, sort of general action movies, but and he, not he's a necessarily artist.
2: the most talented
1: no no like like
2: charles bronson like you know like not even the like maybe a tough looking guy but not a great actor
1: no it's basically a character actor's uh uh, genre Mm -hmm. because you want you want a tough looking guy and i don't know i i mean an exception is jean-claude van damme i never thought he looked that tough he he was i I, you kind of thought he has a french name and he's pretty you know, so right. how, how can you, how can he become a martial arts star? But he did become a martial arts oh, star. You know?
2: Like you said, there's a Van Damme movie every six months. It's seen back in those yeah, days. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I never thought any of them were very good story wise, but, um, you know, he had that, that, uh, uh streak of fame mm-hmm. for several years. Just yeah.
2: connected with the, with the audience. Was yeah. there ever anybody that you gave a review to that got mad at you?
1: Oh, very interesting. Um, you know, I I don't know if you if you know who this is, but uh, Charles Band, the uh, the uh, owner of Full Moon Entertainment, uh, he he got pretty mad at me one time because I said, you know, uh, this movie's so bad it might bankrupt. Uh, Charles Band's third company or something like that and he was like what do you mean he would he called me up what do you mean uh, you know I said well I didn't you have two previous bankruptcies Charlie and he, was like, he was like well I, I, you know I don't know what you're talking about and I was like okay well I'm, I won't say it again but do you recall you know? what the movie was oh man it was it would have been one of his puppet master sequels say,
2: why, why do I know that puppet master is full moon entertainment
1: it's like because he made so many of them i mean so how many, many puppet master sequels are there oh there's like dozens
2: there's another <laughs> genre the the creepy doll that comes to life genre
1: the creepy doll movie um uh like chucky yeah. and um uh one of my favorite episodes of um monster vision we had uh brad duriff who is the voice of chucky yeah uh, i had an interview with chucky <laughs> and 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 Brad Dourif cooperated with me on the script, and so I accuse I accuse uh, Chucky of just being a a stooge of Brad Dourif, and Chucky in that Chucky voice he goes, Brad Dourif bad <laughs> like, it was i don't know it's like ch- the the angry chucky is always funny to me they
2: had a wrestle a, a for a company called WCW in the 90s it was run by ted turner Absolutely, I was I was
1: at TNT when when that was yeah, our franchise. Right. Of course, of yeah, course, course. yeah,
2: yeah. So for some, there was a Chucky movie coming up. For some reason, they did a crossover where Chucky actually <laughs> appeared on the big screen in the live arena, challenging somebody to a match. <laughs> and I can't remember who it was. Someone at home hit me up at Talk is Jericho, but it was just saying, Like I will get you, and I'm going to pin you one, two, three, or whatever the. It's <laughs> like dumbest. It like who booked this? Uh, said this was okay. Did that go
1: over with the audience? Uh, no, boo. <laughs> <laughs> to one time
2: as we wind down here joe I mean, tell us about your new about your new show is it basically the same idea as the previous ones yeah what happened
1: is after i after i went off the air at, on tnt every year somebody would come to me producer network you know and they would say you want to do a new show and i would say sure and I would never hear from them again. Yeah. And So at least once a year that would happen. And so these guys came to me. Two guys came to me in 2017. They said, "Joe, Bob, can we pitch a new show to this streaming network?" And I said, "Sure, let's have lunch." You know. Yeah. And so I thought, okay, we had lunch. You know, I'll never hear from them again. A month later, the uh, executive from Shutter, which is a new streaming service owned by AMC, uh, shows up. Uh, and we have lunch, and he says, Yeah, we want to do this big, um, you know, massive. You know, what do you want to do? And I said, Well, let's do a marathon. Let's do a horror marathon. And uh, let's do an old, like like the old Jerry Lewis marathons where we go all weekend and nobody sleeps. And, you know, all we do is show horror films. And there's, a, okay, yeah, we'll sign on for that. And so we start working on it. And then we get this call. Uh, we don't really have the money for that anymore. And I'm like, really? You don't have the money for that? <laughs> no. You know, we have like $5. I won't tell you what the budget was, <laughs> but it was like $5. Might as well you know? be, right? yeah. and, and, you know, you can tell us, you can walk away if you want to, or you can still do the show. And I, it was like, and I was going to walk away. And they called me and they said, Joe Bob, the crew will work for free. They, mm-hmm. they wanted to work on this so bad that they'll work for free. I said, well, God, I got to do it now. And so... We we did this. We did a twenty four hour, uh, thirteen movie marathon that aired on on Friday the thirteenth of July of uh, twenty eighteen, and um, I thought it would be sort of my swan song uh, to movie hosting. Right. You know, because it was nostalgic. You know, they said they said what what kind of show do you want to do. Oh, we we want you to do the exact same show you did in the 90s and I'm like, you can't do that mm-hmm. you can't do that on TV It's a 20 year old format and They were like no 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 that's what we want the exact same show you know so I did the exact same show and um, they said and we're gonna interrupt the movies for commercial breaks. Do you have commercials no but we're gonna interrupt the movie for commercial breaks and I'm like that's gonna piss people off they' okay. <laughs> you know? like no 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 people are gonna love it So we do this 24hour marathon. Everybody works 18-hour days. And so the the night it's going to premiere, you know, it's going to premiere at 9 o'clock. Well, at about 8.45, the social media goes crazy with people saying, I can't, you know, my, my computer crashed. I can't get on. What's wrong with this stupid company? I want my money back. You know, I was like, everyone's pissed off. Then about 30 minutes into it, it all changes and it's like, joe bob oh my god oh my god do you realize what happened do you realize what happened and i'm like what you know you crashed the whole internet (laughs) you crashed (laughs) shutter you crashed and not only shutter we crashed the sundance channel and some you know they were all connected and so and so i'm like well can anybody see the show no, nobody can see the show. And it's like, well, that doesn't sound good. Oh, no, it's wonderful. It means, you know, people love you. You crash the internet. (laughs) And so fortunately, and so people stayed up all night trying to get it. They Eventually, some of them got it back on, you know, and they stayed up for 24 hours and watched the thing, and sometimes they got it and sometimes they didn't get it. And so it became this legend. And the next day, Shudder put it all up. Uh, For on demand so people could go back and watch the stuff that they'd missed and so by Monday everyone was blogging you know uh, Joe Bob broke the internet you know so so suddenly now uh, Shudder did want more shows so we did a marathon at Thanksgiving we did a marathon at Christmas we just started a weekly series and Basically, I'm doing the show, the same show I did 20 years ago, and with the same elements in it, and doing it the same way. And it's like, I keep thinking, well, we ought to update something. You know, they're like, no, no, leave it alone. It's not broken. Leave it alone. (laughs) Update the movies at least. (laughs) And they even want me to do movies from the 80s. And I'm like... You know, people love the 80s. It. And mm. I'm like, oh, okay, you know. Uh, but, you know, there was a lot of crap in the 80s too, you know. <laughs> and, it all
2: blends though. Yeah, as as I know. Last couple of questions for you. What is, uh, in your opinion, the worst movie that you've ever seen? Oh, my God. Or a couple of them.
1: You know, the the one thing I can't forgive in a movie is when it's boring. Right. And so we had a movie at TNT called Super Beast. Okay, right. And there was no Beast. (laughs) It was like just all these people wandering around the jungles of the Philippines for two hours. And uh, uh, I never knew what the plot was. I even asked the audience, send in your version of what you think happens in this plot, you know, and we'll give a prize, (laughs) you know. And, uh, you know, that was one of the worst ones, Super Beast. And then, (laughs) um, now, one of the worst movies ever made, but it was so bad that it was entertaining, is the howling seven it it killed the howling franchise you could never make it well actually they're making i they're actually I, I i take that back because they're now making new howlings it's but, funny
2: that you say that because i was going to mention the werewolf genre yeah but, so it's exactly. the howling seven
1: the howling seven which used footage from the howling you know four five and six <laughs> and is shot at this place called pioneer town california which is an old uh, uh, western false front town that closed down in the uh, 50s because they weren't making the b-movie westerns anymore mm-hmm. and so the bikers moved in and took over the uh, the buildings and so it, it was a real outlaw town and so this guy thought oh what a great place to film a horror movie i'll do it in pioneer town and so he makes this movie at this country Western bar in Pioneertown, California, with the worst community theater actors you've ever seen <laughs> in your life, with a horrible plot, with all these uh, country music songs just in, injected into the movie for no reason. And But there's a strange kind of train wreck <laughs> uh, fascination <laughs> as you watch the movie, and it just gets worse and worse and worse. And, and, uh, and so we actually we showed that one on my show. And it was it got s- such uh, a lot of fan mail that we showed it again, and it got this big rating, and we were like, I wonder what people are seeing in this movie. And what they were seeing was, you know, somebody really believed in this movie <laughs> and and made this, and it's it's just so horrible that we have to see it again. And so uh, that's one of the worst ones. I haven't seen it. I have to check okay. It out. Okay, the Howling Seven. They actually changed the title because the Howling Seven had become so so identified with bad movie, they changed it to the howling new moon rising. So if you see it in the video store, that's probably what it is.
2: Yeah. The one that I, have you ever seen the best worst movie the documentary on troll two?
1: I have. Yeah, 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 yeah. That and and troll, there. troll two is definitely a cult film of that. So sort. bad.
2: Yeah. It's actually, actually pretty funny, but it's just rotten. Uh, what's the worst death you've ever seen in a movie?
1: The worst death. Wow, it, it,
2: um, or the most bizarre.
1: You know, there's a there's a um, there's a recent movie called Bone Tomahawk. I don't know if you saw that, but With the, Kurt Russell. Yeah, I haven't seen it yet. Uh, the uh, uh, there's a a man uh, skinned alive by a Ooh. cannibal Indian tribe. Uh, it's pretty graphic and uh, pretty show stopping. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I I would I would say that one. I mean, when you've seen as many when you've known as right. many special effects guys as I've known, it's like it's hard to get grossed out anymore, you know, because you kind of have you, you s- kind of know that have it's you seen, fake.
2: Uh, or have seen Terrifier?
1: Yes, yes.
2: That one has a pretty bad death. In That's it. true. The, That's uh, true. Saw from vagina to throat. Yep. upside down that's yep. a gross one like you said for yep. guys like us that have seen so much it's hard to get you but that one got me
1: yeah i just i just ran into the terrifier yeah, guys no, yeah, at yeah. the at the uh convention and yeah they're very proud of that
2: yeah <laughs> <laughs> and then the last question what's your favorite b movie some of the ones you really enjoy
1: boy i don't know b movie i i would i or just i movie. would say the original texas chainsaw oh, master that, yeah. i would say hellraiser you know uh there would be, you know, quite a few on that list. But in the comedy world, I've always thought, and this was a low-budget movie. I think people don't realize how low the budget was for this movie. But this is Spinal Tap, is, oh, it's, amazing. It, I think is one of the greatest comedies ever made. And it Absolutely. it's made for virtually nothing.
2: A- a- agreed, times a thousand. <laughs> one of those movies that the more you watch, the more you see as well. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And once again, you could never make a movie like that now because being in the early 80s and just that type of movie wasn't really made too much so you might have almost even thought it was real. Yeah. You didn't know. You yeah. Know I
1: mean and and it, it has a reality about it yeah. even though even when you're laughing you're going <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I've known a guy like that, right?
2: <laughs> yeah. Or if you're in show business, stuff like that happens to you all the time. Yeah. I've been lost trying to find the stage a few times. <laughs> right. Absolutely, I can think of one time.
1: I've yeah. I've had I've had uh, Spinal Tap black album signings where <laughs> <laughs> kick this where, ass for a man where 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 my agent is not there, so I, can, I can't I can't kick his ass. You can't kick this ass for a man. <laughs> well, Joe Bob, man, it's great having
2: you on, dude. And like I said, it's one of the reasons why I did this. Uh, this uh, convention the first place to get a chance to chat with you well and thanks for having me man this, this was
1: great thank you very much man appreciate All right. it
2: all right, you can check out Joe Bob Briggs' new show, The Last Drive-In, by downloading and subscribing to the Shutter app. Go check it out and keep up with his movie selections on The Last Drive-In and join him for live movie screenings uh, with uh, Darcy the Mel girl. They make a great team. It's a lot of fun. Go check it out. If you love B-horror movies like Sleepaway Camp 2, which is one of my all-time favorites, like Halloween 3, Season of the Witch, another one of my all-time favorites, go to the Shutter app and go check out those movies now. Uh, you know what else you need to do? Come rock with Fozzie this week. Our, our short little spring tour starts tonight, uh, Wednesday, May 15th, in Greenville, South Carolina at the Firmament uh, with Tacos Jericho alumni Nita Strauss opening, accompanying us on that one. Then May 16th on Thursday, we're going to be in Greensboro, North Carolina at Cone Denim with Nita as well. May 17th at Virginia Beach, Virginia at the Lunatic Luau. It's a great festival. We're on the main stage there. And also on the main stage, May 18th at the MMRBQ in Camden. In new jersey at the bb and t pavilion come join us shine down joan Jet. a lot of great bands playing that day and then july 12th in mansfield ohio at incarceration another main stage festival for fozzy and then we're headed out west go west young man uh, this fall as we built the tour around our opening slot for iron maiden at the bank of california stadium in los angeles on september 14th but we're going to be on the road starting september 5th in denver September 6th, Colorado Springs. September 7th, Grand Junction, Colorado. The 8th is Salt Lake City, Utah. The 11th, Crystal Bay, Nevada at the Club uh, Casino Crown Room. September 12th, San Francisco. 13th, Sacramento. 15th, in Las Vegas. 18th, San Diego. 19th, in Tempe. 20th, in Tucson. 21st, in El Paso. Sons of Texas are gonna join us. Uh, September 25th, in Dallas. 26th, is Houston. 27th in Hattiesburg, uh, and then 28th, Atlanta, Georgia, at the Masquerade. Get all ticket information at fozzyrock.com. You can also buy tickets to the VIP meet and greet we do before each show. One of the best of the business to do a short uh, uh, private set for you guys, five uh, mini set, five songs. We take pictures, we sign for you, we meet and greet you. Anything you want, come hang with Fozzie Before the show, go to fozzyrock.com. And then come hang with Fozzy and Chris Jericho's Rock and Wrestling Rager at Sea part Deux. We set sail January 20th, 2020. Fozzy's doing three shows on that ship, including the big sail away set. We're 84% sold out. So book your cabin now at chrisjerichocruise.com. And join Rick Flair, the NWO Wolfpack, Scott Hall, Kevin Nash, Sean Waltman, uh, Jake the Snake Roberts, Queen Charmel, Booker T, MVP, Brad Williams is the host. Vicky Guerrero is going to be there. Shaw Guerrero is going to be there with the Vaudettes, a great burlesque troupe out of Chicago that she is the front woman for. Jack Slade, a solo cup Jeff. Ted Irvin from the New York Rangers, my dad. Eric Bischoff, Conrad Thompson, 83 Weeks Live, is on the ship. Farewell to Fear, Rubik's Cube, Killer Queen, The Greatest Female Queen cover band ever. Dave Spivak Project returns. Jared James Nichols is playing. He's also joining us on all those Unleashed in the West shows. Uh, Kick Axe, one of my favorite bands of all time from Canada. AEW Wrestling, we're going to start announcing the actual AEW top, top talent that's going to be there. I'm sure you can guess who it is. DDP, returning to host more live DDP yoga workshops on the boat. Beyond the Darkness will be hosting more creepy paranormal events. Like I said, more AEW talent coming soon. Don't wait, 84% sold out with like eight months to go. Go to ChrisJerichoCruise.com and get one of the last remaining cabins. And get ready for Friday. Jack Slade returns to talk as Jericho for a new edition of Band the Money in the Bank preview that the WWE does not want you to hear. We give all our thoughts and uh, and predictions for the big WWE pay-per-view, and you're going to hear that on Friday. So until then, stay hard, stay hungry, peace, love, and hugs, and a big yeah, boy. And don't forget to check out the last drive-in on Shudder with Joe Bob Briggs and Darcy the Mail girl. Go do it now, and we'll see you on Friday. Oh, yeah.